the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome today Michael Pope. Michael is the Vice President of Reimbursement and Professional Advocacy for the American Academy of PAs and let me tell you he has a wealth of information on PA practice and reimbursement he gave a talk at a recent Indianapolis meeting, and I'm excited to have him back on the podcast. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Sam. It's my pleasure to be here, and it's been great working with you for so many years. Absolutely. Michael, please tell us about the CMS changes to coding and billing. I remember having to count bullets and numbers, and did I get enough bullets in this to get the higher level or whatever? And that all is gone. Now it's based on medical decision-making and, and or time. And I was hoping you could review some of that for our listeners, because this is a pretty important thing for those of us that do our own coding. It is a real big change. And unfortunately, the changes in documentation and coding that you're talking about all occurred in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I think that they were kind of overshadowed by what we were doing in terms of fighting that difficult pandemic. And a lot of people and organizations really didn't pick up on the fact that Medicare had made these changes. And I will say up front that the reason for these changes in terms of Medicare policy was to unburden healthcare professionals from having to document so much in a medical record and oftentimes documenting things that weren't necessarily pertinent to that particular patient encounter. And their goal was to stop the note bloat, as they called it, in terms of how much stuff has to go in a medical record, how much repetitive information a healthcare provider has to put in a medical record, and to save time from doing that and spend more time with patients. At least that on paper is what their goal was. So back in 2021, Medicare changed the documentation requirements in office-based services. That change didn't come to hospitals until January of 2023. And most healthcare professionals learned the old day with the soap note where you had to do the history of present illness and review enough systems to build up your code to a level where you could build a decent level E&M code. And I think, quite frankly, that's the way most healthcare professionals continue to do their documentation. But Medicare has said, we're going to change that. We're going to get rid of some of that extraneous information that perhaps isn't as important in terms of your encounter with the patient. And now they use three separate metrics in terms of helping a healthcare professional figure out what their level of code is going to be. One is going to be based on the number of comp or complexity of the problems they're dealing with. Now, a patient might have three or four or five different comorbidities, but Medicare is concerned about how many of these issues you're treating on that encounter that we're talking about. The second issue is how much information does the healthcare professional have to read, have to go through either before or during the encounter that's going to help them make a decision about development of a treatment plan. For example, if you've got a patient who had one imaging study and they're coming to you to talk about that, that's going to be a fairly small amount of material for you, Sam, as an orthopedic PA to have to go through. But if you've got a patient who's been in the hospital for two weeks and they're coming back to you for follow-up, you might have 25, 30 different pages of information to go through. And Medicare is going to help pay for that time and energy that a healthcare professional spends when they're going through that level of information. And the third component is the level of risk, of complication, of seriousness or morbidity or mortality in terms of what that patient is presenting to you on that particular visit. So it's those three categories that Medicare now wants to use in determination of what level of CPT code you're going to ultimately build to the healthcare system. And Medicare and the AMA have come up with some pretty good charts to help you work through that. And they use a two out of three rule. 
whatever two out of three of these categories indicate in terms of the level of evaluation and management code, that's what you should be billing on your forms. Now, I will say that for those individuals who work for accountable care organizations and ACOs, or for those who are in a heavily risk-based reimbursement system, that is, are using value-based reimbursement across the board, because of those particular conditions and trying to determine level of risk of a patient, you might want to put a little more information than just Medicare in terms of the medical decision-making. I would suggest that you make sure that you touch base with your coding and documentation folks to determine how much information they need on a medical record. Because with value-based reimbursement, the more clearly documented the different levels of care are and the requirements and the morbidity of the patient, that's going to indicate how much you get in payment in terms of a risk-based structure. So those who are on a basic ENM fee-for-service system can really move toward Medicare's medical decision-making model, but those who are in ACOs and more risk-based coding situations might want to do a little more coding and documentation in order to make sure they're getting the full risk-based payment in those particular systems. Michael, let me jump in with a couple of questions. Just so everybody knows, you still need to have your history, physical exam, and those things. I mean, it, it's still a medical record. You need continuity and saying what you're doing so everybody knows what you're doing. But for purposes of billing Medicare, it's based on medical decision-making and or time and the things that Michael talked about. What about commercial insurers? Are they following a similar kind of pattern? Isn't it usually Medicare that sets the kind of guidelines and commercial insurers follow suit? Yeah, and first of all, you make an excellent point. Every medical record has to have integrity in terms of the information that's going to be placed on that. So we're not saying at all that you don't have to have the history and the exam performed. The question is how much information you need to put on the medical record. But yes, you must have a contiguous medical record that meets clinical standards for care of a patient. And to get to your second question, yeah, Medicare is the big kid in the block, and they often determine what other people will do because there is a desire for more consistency among payers when they're putting forth policies and different levels of care provision. So most of the commercial payers are required to follow the Medicare guidelines in terms of CPT code usage and ICD-10 code usage, as well as most of these provisions. They can deviate to some degree, for example, Medicare for quite some number of years no longer covers consults. It's likely that some of your Medicaid programs and commercial payers still do. So there can be some variations of that nature, but for the most part, for big issues like documentation, the commercial payers are going to align with Medicare. I would um, also be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about the time-based billing. Medicare has always allowed for time-based billing in E&M coding situations. However, in the past, you were only allowed to bill for time when more than half of the visit was dedicated toward counseling or coordination of care. That has changed. And now Medicare will allow you to use either medical decision-making or time-based billing in any encounter, irrespective of how much of that is in consultation or coordination of care. So every healthcare provider has the ability to use time if that's a more effective way of dealing with a problem. In reality, the vast majority of healthcare professionals use medical decision-making or the other documentation guidelines to determine that patient encounter and how to bill it. But you did say that time, I, it, it was an interesting thought that if you did use time, keeping track of the records that you're reviewing, the x-rays that you're reviewing, if you have to call somebody, if you have to, you know, look up old notes, all of that counts. So if, if you're, you know, it's an option for you, it's something you can think about. It might not be the most prudent in a busy clinic, but it, it might be too, you know, it's something to think about. So. Yeah, you make a very good point because what time usage is in these days is that 
Anytime you spend work on a patient, either before they get to your office, like reviewing notes and talking to other healthcare professionals, even before the visit starts, that can be counted toward time. Also, work that you do for that patient after the patient encounter is finished, after the patient has left the office, if you're still doing work to coordinate their care, for example, trying to set up physical therapy for the patient or trying to set up a home health plan for the patient, all of that time, either pre, inter, or post-visit, all counts in terms of the total buildup of time. So there, there are situations, I think, when time can be an effective way to bill for a service. Perfect. Perfect. Michael, thank you. Those are our PA advocacy updates. And listeners, please join us again next week when we discuss fraud and abuse issues for PAs. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. We also welcome you to visit our website, paos.org, where members can download virtual conference content and get Category 1 CME. Also, if you're a non-member and you're interested in our CME content, please visit the aapa.org Learning Central for the PAOS virtual content.